Our sermon passage this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, if you were here with us at the marriage, the Paul Tripp Marriage Seminar uh, a week ago, this passage may sound a little bit familiar. Second uh, <clears throat> Corinthians is both a joyful and uh, a dark book. Uh, Paul wrote it at a tough time in his life, and he confesses openly earlier on in the book that he had despaired even to the point of life itself. Uh, but oftentimes for Paul, his darkest moments also tend to be the moments where he finds the most joy. And uh, he writes about that in this passage. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, not a house made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may be found, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you, for the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Nathaniel. Well, it's good to see you all. It's good to be together and to take a moment and come before God's word. Uh, I'd ask that you join me in prayer. Let's, uh, let's ask our God to be with us in a very special way. Father, this is your moment uh, as only you can uh, make it your moment, and that is that you would pierce through um, our thoughts and uh, what we're dwelling upon and lift us up into heaven itself. I pray you will uh, make this a moment where we are greatly encouraged in the, in the words uh, from this text. I thank you for um, your faithful work among us as a church, and we would pause to give you praise. Uh, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, today's message title is called Living with Death Behind You. Um, and I think that's really the call upon us as believers. 
And I'm just sort of airdropping right into this passage as a, as a one-time message. Um, this particular passage has been on my heart for some time. And um, I want to ask you a question, a series of questions. And the first question is, what keeps you going? What keeps you going? I look around here and I see uh, people who have goals in life. I see people who have objectives. I see people who have a certain level uh, of energy. You might not believe that on a Sunday morning. Uh, but you all have a, a certain level of, of desire. You're in the middle of something. You're, you're, you're animated. You're trying. You're making an effort. Toward what? What are you aiming at in life? That's a big, big question. Uh, but you picture something that's worth living, living for in life. Um, it might have something to do with why you're here on this particular day. Uh, you may want um, a happy family. You may want a certain level of success in life. Some of you may picture financial well-being, uh, career achievement, accomplishments that are still down the road. It, it makes up the daydreaming part of your life, uh, the things that you dwell upon uh, when, uh, when you really have time to think. And then secondly, I want to ask you this. What would happen if you were well into your life calling, you were down the road, you have uh, found out what you want to do in life, you've achieved some level of success, and you experience a powerful wave of discouragement, disillusionment, despair. You have sought to do what is right, and you have been uh, hit with things in life that you would never, ever would have imagined, you despair of life itself. Uh, what would happen? How would you respond to something like that? And then a third question. How would you recover? What plan would you devise in your mind? Uh, what would you do to get back on your feet? So, uh, what animates you? Uh, what motivates you? What would happen if you're moving along in life and you get completely thrown off and disillusioned and you fall into despair? And then the next thing is, what would you do to get back up on your feet? Or would you even try to get back up on your feet? As Pastor Nathaniel mentioned, the Apostle Paul starts off 2 Corinthians chapter 1 with quite a revealing statement about himself. He tells the Corinthians that he and his companions were traveling through an area called Asia. We would refer to this now as the modern-day uh, area of Turkey, the country of Turkey. And uh, back then, they referred to that area as Asia. And Paul and his companions f encountered a deep sense of despair. In fact, we find that in verse uh, 9, the Apostle Paul of chapter 1 says, in 2 Corinthians 1, 9, he says that we felt the sentence of death was within, it was, was within us. The great Apostle Paul... This dynamo, spiritual dynamo, experiences a tremendous moment of utter despair. And he wanted his Corinthian friends to know about it and to keep in mind um, that he has hardships and afflictions and to remember how difficult it is in ministry. It's so difficult that you want to absolutely, you want to give up. And then he, what's interesting about this epistle is that very much, much of what he says in the following chapters, particularly chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5, are a response to, or a, an explanation 
of how he responded to that despairing moment in Asia. And so we can now look in, at the, what he's saying. He says things that are instructive for us as Christians. And much of what he does is this. He thinks into the future and works that backwards into his present moment. Uh, If we would go away with one thought from today's message, and that is we are called, when you look upon Scripture, to, to make the trajectory of our thought go way into the future and then work that backwards into our present moment. It is to be to function the good news of what God's going to do in the future, the glorious state that we as Christians will experience. That good news is to function as a counterbalance so that our present affliction will feel light in comparison to the weight of glory that is to come. And it's interesting that Paul in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 1 He says that God was instructing them not to rely on themselves, but on God. And then he said this, on God who raises the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ frames the apostles' motivational structure for why and how he keeps going in life. Let me ask you, what motivates you? What keeps you going? Besides energy, besides energy drinks or coffee, what keeps you going? Each of us have some thought in our mind of something that's worth striving for, some reason that we keep going. It's there. Maybe you've never thought about it, but it's there. Something is helping you get up, uh, get ready for the day, and it keeps you going. There are some who have stopped going. They've stopped living. Oh, yes, they still go to work. They still get their tasks done. But they have, for all, for, for all intents and purposes, lost the zeal for life. They are checked out. And they have not recovered, and they have no compelling vision to keep them going. And the Apostle Paul, in his recovery, at least the first thing we can grasp, is that his understanding that Jesus Christ's rising from the dead frames everything. My heart for you, my longing for you, my, my, heart, my uh, desire for me is that I would think more biblically about how to respond to the afflictions or hardships I may be going, you may be going through, and to really let this thinking permeate the way we live. That we be convinced of it. And so he tells the Corinthians how to think when they are afflicted, what to dwell upon, what to let the heart uh, uh, imagine and, and, uh, and, and think about. And so we as a church, we want to become mobilized for ministry. We want to, in the words of uh, Paul Tripp uh, last week, uh, it's great to be a recipient of the kingdom. To, that's great. Uh, but to move to being a participant in the kingdom is, all, is so much better. We want to move into being a mobilized people. And I want to convince you today of, of how to think uh, from the future backwards and it will diminish your, your tendency, my tendency, towards self-protectiveness. 
if I despaired of life, like the Apostle Paul, I would just say, well, forget it. I'm just going to hang out in my condo near the Mediterranean and just, I'm just going to check out. Maybe I'll write a few religious books. I'm just not going to engage anymore. I mean, this is tough. This is hard. This is scary. This might lead to my death. And, and, and so there's a self-protectiveness that we need to overcome. And repeatedly, the Apostle Paul says this one phrase to his Corinthian friends. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. And so, uh, to be involved in ministry, to, to, to care about your fellowship group, to, to reach out to, to that person who may never ever thank you or, or understand what you're trying to do, to be involved in ministry can be messy, can be thankless, and you've got to have a deeper motivational structure than simply how people are responding to you. How people are responding to you. That's sort of the, 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 uh, kind of a basic level whereby we, we function. Spiritually speaking, we're to be functioning in terms of the, the great glories to come intersecting in our lives today. Okay, so uh, just by way of a framework today, Uh, We are to work backwards, if you want to look at your sermon outline, work backwards regarding our future hope, and it relates to our bodies. Work backwards regarding our future hope into our present experience, and this relates to our heart attitude. And then one last idea, to work backwards regarding our future hope and our use of words, our use of words. So my intriguing thoughts here. Okay, so 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 And just so you can get a feel for the context of chapter 5, recognize we're just looking at this rather briefly. Uh, Look at chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, just listen to this. This is how Paul sets up uh, these words from uh, our chapter 5. We hear these words, 2 Corinthians 4.16, We do not lose heart. Here it is. This is chapter 4, verse 16. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And verse 17, one of the most significant verses in all the Bible, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, But the things that are uh, unseen are eternal. That's how he sets up uh, the next verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Watch the flow. He's setting up, we don't lose heart. Why, we're always looking at the eternal, the unseen. Uh, In fact, we look at this present momentary affliction. It's pretty light compared to the weight of glory to come. Where's his mind? When Paul dwells upon things, what's he thinking about? The weight of glory to come. The weight of glory to come. I'm going to propose to you right up front, this is hard work. This is very difficult work. Uh, It it means a self-conscious effort on your part uh, to wake up each day and to think of the weight of glory that is coming your way. I would venture, uh, just a guess, I don't know this, I don't have any hard facts. I don't know how many of us actually think this is how we're supposed to think as Christians. I don't know what's going on inside your mind by way of the motivational structure, but if you want to be 
one who leans into this moment experience, this now, the now, right now, what you have to do is you have to think greatly and mightily and worthily about the future. And this, it strikes us as pie-in-the-sky, futuristic stuff. I'm realistic. I'm down-to-earth. I, I relate to my to-do list today. I've got to get stuff done. How does this relate? Well, we're now uh, watching one of the most obedient Christians who's ever walked this earth, a tiger for the faith, saying, if you want to know what is the motivational structure, the framework of my thinking, I'll, I want you to know these present afflictions don't compare. That's what I think. I, now, to get that, we have to do hard work because my instinct is, oh, yes, it is a big burden. Oh, yes, you don't know how big a burden it is. This is the ultimate affliction and how silly it is for we who dwell in this beautiful place, who enjoy fine food, nice houses, uh, many, many creature comforts, we are quick to fall into uh, self-pity. And this, to overcome the self-protective tendency, we must think of the eternal weight of glory. And it starts with our bodies. It's interesting, isn't it? It starts with our bodies. Verse 1, For we know if the tent that is our earthly home, isn't that great? a great image? A tent uh, is destroyed. Uh, we have a building from God. Look at the contrast. Uh, we, it's not that we have a tent from God. We have a building from God. From a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And then this beautiful acknowledgement. In this tent we groan, longing to be put to put on our heavenly dwelling. It is, it is perfectly uh, normal and right for you as a Christian to, uh, if you, you're sensing man alive, I don't have the body I had 10 years ago. I can feel it. And to, and to begin to, what are you going to do? Well, our, our, our culture has lots of ideas to enhance, enhance your look, uh, but it's perfectly right that you would say I, it's okay to groan a bit and to wish for a new body. If indeed by putting it on we may, may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. Look at this beautiful phrase, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Look at that. This eternal experience, this coming glory, Paul describes it as being swallowed up by life. Your soul finally united to an eternal body, experiencing the fullness of your humanity. One of the great struggles you have right now. And one of the great struggles I have, I'm the speaker and you're the listener. And sin is affecting the speaker and sin's affecting the listener. Sin's impacting your worship. Sin's impacting your, your motivational structures. All, it, it, it's in and through our whole system. And you should say, oh, I groan. I groan f- for a new body where sin would no longer impact my ability to listen. And I would dwell in the presence of God forever. So this is Paul recovering from an experience of despair. He doesn't wallow in self-pity. He doesn't say, oh, how hard, do you know how hard it is to be, a, uh, to, to be an apostle? And he doesn't manipulate by guilt his audience. He is now speaking into their life. He's wishing for them to be able to overcome all afflictions. How? By thinking gloriously of the future. 
Now, verse 5 is a beautiful thing. For he, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Look at verse 5. Who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The Spirit is, has functioned really in two ways. The Spirit has come and shown you forgiveness of sins. The Spirit has dealt with your guilt before God's holy law. The Spirit has brought you to see Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Spirit has opened your eyes to call upon Jesus. And you have, you're now experiencing what uh, the theologians call redemption. It's a large, big picture. Uh, half of that redemption has to do with sin and your, your, your guilt before God's holy law. And we have Jesus Christ who kept the law of God by faith. You're righteous. Now the other half, are you ready? The other half is the Spirit now moving in us, preparing us, assuring us that we are heirs of eternal life, heirs of the new world to come, heirs of new bodies. Who is communicating that to you right now? The Spirit of God is working in you to give you that assurance. Assurance that you're forgiven of sins. Assurance that you have a right to eternal life and the final age that we will enjoy forever and ever. That's the totality of redemption. And so the Spirit is bringing us into union with the resurrected Christ. The Spirit desires that you would know that you are so secure that the future is yours, you can bank on it, and it, it can become your weight of glory now. It's a lot of work. It's hard work. It's, it's reflective work. It's, uh, if it helps to write a journal about your, your, your hardships, and then, then you take a look at some passages like 2 Corinthians 5, the things that you're dwelling upon, the hardships, dwell upon it. Take the text, look at your trouble. Take the text, look at your trouble. Work. Do the heart work that you might experience the joy that is waiting for you at the end of the age, and to experience that joy now. This doesn't deny the deep, hard afflictions that we experience, but it is a way for us to think uh, biblically about our motivational structures. And so now look at next, the next section, verses 6 through 10. Very interesting. This working backwards from future hope uh, to, to, to our present attitude and I think that the future hope is really here speaking to heart attitude. I want you to look at this text. Let's, let's hear it out loud. So we are always, look at this, of good courage. Chapter 1, despairing. Chapter 5, we're all, always of good courage. Interesting, isn't it? And, and now watch how he reasons. How, Paul, did you become one such a, uh, filled with good courage? How, how did this happen? We know that while we are at home in the body... We are away from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. Underline that. First area. Undergirding his ability to have good courage. We walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. Do you think that's an important idea he wants to get across to the Corinthians? Second time he's mentioned it. We are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. In other words, we're not going to lose we know that if ultimately by serving Christ we, we encounter death, we will experience the greatest joy. Our life will not be taken from us. It will be given to us. Verse 9. So whether we are at home, that's this present tent, or away, 
we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. These are, these are reasons for having good courage. And what Paul is saying here is this. He's saying that he knows, listen carefully, he knows the character quality, qualities that are being worked into him. He is aware of what he knows. He knows what he knows. He knows that courage, living by sight, excuse me, living by faith and not by sight, and then seeking to please God, these three things. Courage, living by faith, and seeking to please God, these are the character qualities that prove he is a genuine follower of Christ. And he will stand before what is described here in verse 10, the judgment seat of Christ. And what will, what will come forth there is that we are essentially stripped of our, our religious pretense, our status in this world. We, we come only clothed in the character qualities that have been worked into us by the Spirit. We come on that day when Christ comes to examine his church, his people, and we now are clothed with real Christ-likeness, and God recognizes it. Why is Paul of good courage? He's not of good courage because the Corinthians are such a wonderful people. He's not of good courage because everywhere he goes, he gets thanked. Uh, they're, 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 they're ready at the, at the city gates with bricks for Paul. He is not of good courage by how well his life unfolds He is of good courage because he knows the character qualities of the real deal are in him. And he he warns the Corinthians, think about this. This should sober you up. Christ has a right to examine us, we who claim to be his followers. He will come to inspect the fruit. And it's right there, verse 10. For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's just basically saying, become sobered up. Realize your moment in life. That this is your moment to, to express these character qualities. And I would suggest to all of us that one of the ways we can, we, we can know that we've been thinking about the future and letting it impact our day-to-day experience, one thing it looks like is courage. Isn't that Interesting. If you know you are going to live forever, just say this over and over and over. If you're really going to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, really, really, really live forever and ever and ever. Not just church talk, not just preacher talk. Really, really, really live forever. What would that do in you? How would it would then it would then really change how you understand all of your life. Now, of course, it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just some weekend where you do a big, long Bible study, and then you sort of get it. I got it. Wow, I figured that out. Thank you, Pastor Todd. I'm done. It's a constant work. 
It's a constant work, and it is not easy. Be of good courage. Live by faith, not by sight, and be pleasing to God. These are character qualities that cause someone to be leaning into their present moment. God is passionate about your now experience. Now is the moment of salvation. Now is the day that God cares about. It's happening now, and he has given us the future to function as a counterbalance for all our sorrows. And then one final area, just the idea of words. We work backwards from the future, and our words have God-given purpose. Uh, look, Look at verses 11 through 15. This is really, really interesting, I think. Verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... That's just reverence and and a high uh, view of God and awe. Uh, What do we do? We persuade. We we speak. Uh, And the Corinthians uh, loved persuasion. Uh, Greeks loved rhetoric and loved the amphitheater and debate. And Paul says, all right, I'll enter into the, the arena. Knowing the fear of the Lord. Knowing that that I want to prove in this moment that I'm convinced of the future. I'm going to speak into this moment, and I'm going to minister words of persuasion to my Corinthian friends. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance. These are like the super apostles that the Corinthians have started to trust in. And not what is in the heart. Look at verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, can you imagine what Paul was like as a preacher? If, we're, if, we, if, if it feels like we're a bit fanatical, we go over the top with emotion it's just too intense. We're not reserved and we're not polished like your skilled uh, rhetorical speakers. Uh, if, we, if we seem like we're sort of a bit loony and we're so intense about it. Look what he says here. If we are beside ourselves, that no doubt must have been an accusation against Paul. He says it's for God. God has filled us with this, this passion if we are in our right mind, if in any way you sense reason, if in any way you sense an argument that's, that fits and, and makes sense to you, if it, if it connects with you, it's for you. And then he concludes, he says, what, what's behind all these words, this ministry motivation? It's not rhetorical skill. It's not the thrill of being the one up front telling people what to do or believe. It's, look at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this. This is very interesting. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Paul is engaging thinking of the future, working backwards into his present moment, knowing that he's safe. And now he he engages in ministry, which looks like words of persuasion, words of convincing people. And so for us, the call is upon us to work backwards 
know that we are secure, and then engage people in conversation, lift them up, build them up, encourage, correct, rebuke. But what we have is we have words, and these are words that can penetrate the heart, words that can, God behind them, can convert a soul. And so, the call upon us today then is this, is to work hard to think about the future and work it backwards into our present, into our present life. God summons us with words. He awakens us. He calls us from the dead with words. He engages us in this moment now with words, and they are powerful. And Paul wanted the Corinthians to know the words of encouragement are rooted in the eternal state, ultimate blessedness, final happiness. Think about it. Let your body's age communicate to you the hope that you have. Let there be in you the qualities of courage and living by faith and not by sight, seeking to please him. Let these qualities in you assure you that you have a right to claim eternity as yours. And to know all these things, then to engage in ministry. Or in the words of Paul, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Let's move into this, church. Let's do it. Let's go into the one another's of Scripture assured of these things. Imagine what it might be like for us as a church to, to be so engaged in the future that the present is just a slight momentary affliction. What a great perspective. Let's pray. Father, you have a change agenda. Father, I would confess that I do not work hard enough on thinking about the future and letting that permeate my day and my, and my emotions and my, my response to life. Father, would you move us as a church to do this hard and glorious work that we might be a church holding forth a gospel of great hope. Thank you for encouraging us with these words. It's in the name of Christ who came to bring this future to us, we pray. Amen.